9 from Acts chapter 19. And tonight I'm going to read all of these verses. Will you open your Bibles to the 19th chapter of Acts? And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. These persons apparently did not have any prior teaching to the bab about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was completely new. They had been introduced to Christianity. John the Baptist had preached, and they had learned about the baptism of John unto repentance. When the apostle Paul preached to them, the greater fullness of reality about Jesus literally being the Messiah, how that he had come and had suffered and bled and died for their sins and they understood more of the gospel, they received the Christian baptism, which was immersion in water. And they were baptized in water. And then evidently Paul preached to them about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know why I believe that? Because that's the question, question that he addressed to them. Have ye received the Holy Ghost? Since you believed. He did not question the fact they had believed. He didn't say you're not saved. Evidently they needed some teaching about baptism. They needed a greater fullness uh, of understanding about Christianity. But he really did not condemn them and say you're not Christians. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And so in his message to them that day, I'm quite confident that he explained to them the need for water baptism. He explained to them more fully about their Christian experience. And they were very hungry and they accepted and received the message that Paul preached. But I am also confident that he explained thoroughly to them the baptism of the Holy Ghost for it had made a lot of difference in his life and he had had someone come to him. Ananias had come to lay hands upon him and he received not only his sight for he'd been blinded for several days not only did he receive a mighty spiritual enlightenment, but he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And now he preaches to these Ephesians and he lays hands upon them and they receive the Holy Ghost. Will you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? In my sermon tonight, I'm not going to repeat what I preached this morning. I will not even refer back to those notes whatsoever. I'm picking up where I left off. I told you that tonight I would preach about tarrying about waiting, about asking, and about receiving. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. You see, you've got to get things in proper order. You can't receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues unless you're saved. I would be afraid for a person to attempt to speak in tongues who did not have Jesus as Lord and Savior in their life. 
I would not be at all surprised if there would be some evil spirit come upon a sinner who was trying to talk in tongues and they would be yielding to the wrong spirit. If you are not saved, you're not speaking in tongues with the anointing of the Holy Ghost on your life. So don't attempt to speak in tongues until you repent, until you have accepted Christianity, until you know that you're saved. Get this thing in proper order. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is available to all Christians, absolutely none excluded. But you must be a Christian before you can become a candidate for speaking with other tongues and all that goes with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. You know why he told them to repent in the name of Jesus? Because to this point, they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They, they knew that he had been crucified and then shouted the curses at him at his crucifixion. Now he says, you must repent in his name. You're going to have to come by the way of the man that you've disdained and disowned. So come through the man that you helped to crucify. Now come through him and receive not only salvation and the forgiveness of sin, the remission of sins, but you shall also receive the gift or the receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for this promise is unto you and unto your children and unto them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promises to everybody, none excluded. You can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost today. And to qualify for this experience, Jesus must be the Lord of your life. You say, well, I'm a Christian, but Jesus is not the Lord of my life. Well, pray tell who is. Who's the Lord of your life? If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, you're not saved. I, I hear people talking about accepting Christ and then accepting Jesus later as their Lord. Impossible. You can't be a Christian without Christ being your Lord. And so I, I admit that many people don't let him uh, manage everything in their life. That's for granted. But Jesus is Lord when you become a Christian. He's Lord whether you know it or not, and whether you admit it or not, and whether you even confess it or not. He is Lord. And so tonight, to qualify for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you must be saved. And many people, though, feel, well, I've got to graduate up step by step. I've got to climb up to this access and, and get to this plateau before I can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't know where you learned that. You did not learn that in the Bible. Repentance, belief on Christ, receiving Jesus makes you an immediate candidate for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God doesn't give you the baptism because you deserve it. He doesn't baptize you with the Holy Ghost because you have become absolutely perfect. He doesn't baptize you with the Holy Ghost because you have learned all the catechisms and the doctrines and the theology. He baptizes you with the Holy Ghost because you need this experience and because you're willing to receive it. You say, well, I've still got some habits and problems in my life. That's why you need this experience, brother. Why try on your own? You're struggling in the flesh. You need the help of the Holy Ghost. And when he comes into your life in baptismal power, you'll find it a lot easier to do things that you've been trying to do and a lot of easier to not do things that you've been trying not to do. He is a great helper. Praise God. He is the comforter. He is our helper. He is our paraclete, one who comes alongside to be our friend. Praise God. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, Jesus 
was speaking and talking about asking for the Holy Ghost. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? It is scriptural to ask and to pray for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He gives the Spirit to them that ask. Many have not because they ask not. Maybe you have not asked God to give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You must be convinced in your heart that the Father wants you to have this experience. And Jesus tries immediately to solve that problem for you by saying, if you as an earthly father or a mother, for that matter of fact, if you would give a good gift to your children and you wouldn't withhold something from them that would be good for them, wouldn't you give God credit for being as good as you are? Won't you give God credit tonight for being as good a God as you are a parent? Why, you would certainly give your child bread and meat and anything that would help them if they are hungry and you want them to grow up be strong children. You think the Father would withhold the baptism of the Holy Ghost from you if you need this experience and you ask Him for it? Let's not have in our theology any question about the will of God for our lives when it comes to receiving the baptism. Let's remember it is the will of God. It is God's will that you be baptized with the Holy Ghost. It is for every Christian. It is not merely for those who belong to a Pentecostal denomination. It's for every believer. God is no respecter of persons. The promise is unto you and unto your children, unto them that are far off, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. Are you called? Are you saved? Have you been called into the body of Christ? Then you're qualified tonight to be a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus says then, if you would give your father credit for giving you some earthly uh, bread or fish and he wouldn't give you a stone or a serpent, can't you give God credit for giving you something good when you ask him for the Holy Spirit? He is not going to give you a demon. He's not going to give you something evil. He is not going to give you something that would do you harm. He will give you something good. Earlier when I said a person who is not a Christian should not attempt to speak with tongues, that's true because you might get a demon. You might get anything. There are people in occults tonight who are running around practicing tongues. The Mormon church, the Latter-day Saints, and you say, well, preacher shouldn't call it. Well, I consider them a cult. And uh, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he bled and died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead and is coming back again like we do, and so, like the Bible teaches. But they speak with tongues, and there are many who practice witchcraft who speak with tongues. So if you're not saved, don't ask to speak with tongues. Ask to get saved. And then when you are saved, don't be afraid to ask God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost because he's not going to give you a serpent. He isn't going to give you a stone. What he gives you will be perfectly safe. I've been around this a long time, friends. And I, I tell you, I'm not frightened about it. I'm quite comfortable. I really enjoy being around this. It does something good to me to experience this glorious baptism working in my life. So you don't need to be afraid of it. It is scriptural to ask for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you ask, be specific. The Father will not withhold from you if you ask him. Now, then comes the question, well, why aren't we just supposed to accept and receive and believe? Well, yes, we're supposed to do those things, but there's nothing wrong with asking. Most people would not hesitate to stay up all night long praying 
if they had a child in the bedroom dying and, and the doctor says, there's no hope for this child, you wouldn't just simply go in there and say, now, Father, I ask you to heal this child. And I'm not going to pray anymore about this because if I did, it would be uh, a lack of faith on my part. You'd never get off your knees. If you thought that child was dying, you'd pray all night long. And I know it sounds really wonderful to tell people they don't need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, the same thing could be said about you don't need to pray to get healed from cancer. You can ask God one time and get healed. But brother, if I don't get healed the first time around, I'm gonna stay there. I'm not giving up. A man called me tonight. He said, Pastor, I'm 48 years old and I'm dying with cancer. The doctors told me that I have 18 months to live. And he said, on March the 3rd, my 18 months will be up. He said, I'm not ready to die. I'm not saved. I prayed with the man. He accepted Jesus Christ. God gave him peace. And I promised him that we would pray for him in this service. And I've forgotten it to this moment. And we'll stop right now and pray for him. Gary, do you remember his name? Joe Bennett. Will you pray with me for this man right now? Father, in Jesus' name. We pray for Joe Bennett. Lord, I know it would be such a testimony for this man to be raised up from his deathbed. I thank you that you did come into his heart and I give you all the glory and the praise for that. And I pray that a miracle of healing will take place and that man will be able to come to this church and give his testimony in Jesus' name. Praise God. Now I'll tell you something. If you were in that man's shoes, you wouldn't hesitate to call every preacher in town to pray for you. If you knew you've got just a matter of four days yet to live, according to the doctor. Of course, the doctor can't pinpoint the exact time. But if you thought there was a possibility that in the next four days you would die, you probably wouldn't sleep a wink tonight. You wouldn't feel like that it's unscriptural or anything else. That wouldn't bother you. You'd pray. And I don't think it's wrong for us to be so hungry about the baptism of the Holy Ghost that we keep praying until we are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said he gives a spirit to them that ask him, to them that ask him. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 6, we read this tonight, Paul laid his hands on people and the Holy Ghost came on them. Praise God. I believe in this ministry. I firmly believe that this is a scriptural way of receiving the Holy Ghost. Not all people receive it that way. On the day of Pentecost, nobody laid hands on anybody. They all received. They were all seated. And uh, no, no indication that anyone went around laying hands on them. The Holy Ghost just came upon all of them. Cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each one of them and they began to speak with other tongues without being urged, without being taught, without being told what to do or prompted. It was just a fantastic, miraculous, supernatural experience. And so sometimes we get it in our mind that a person has got to be on their knees or they must be seated or they must be standing or they must have their hands up or some other physical posture. On the day of Pentecost, they were seated and they all were filled with the Holy Ghost. So I'm convinced in my mind the physical position of your body really does not matter a whole lot. It just simply means that you, you need to, at the point in time, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul laid hands on them. He had preached to them. He had, had they'd been baptized in water. I don't think Paul baptized them. He said he didn't baptize people other than one or two. So he had it done. But 
these things were taken care of. Now he says, brothers and sisters, it's time to get this power from God. And he went through laying hands on them and the Holy Ghost came on them. Praise God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it is scriptural to pray for the Holy Ghost. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. I believe there would be some shaking going on in Christianity today if there were more praying going on. Glory to God. Now, I'm not against fellowship. I hope every one of you will go across the street tonight for the fellowship hour. I, this is a marvelous thing to have fellowship. But brother, there's nothing to replace prayer. This is why we try to organize prayer in our church. We call for days of fasting and prayer. We have a Saturday night prayer meeting and a Tuesday morning prayer meeting. We have other times that we ask people to come for special prayer. It's a lot easier to do other things. But when the church prayed, the place was shaken. We need a shaking. We need God to really cause a physical change around us to cause us to be aware of the supernatural, more conscious of the Holy Spirit's power than we are our physical environment and the program and organization and everything that we've got going. Friends, we've got to have our minds put on the supernatural power of God and our need for that. And in this fourth chapter, you know how they've been persecuted for Christ's sake. And their prayer was, well, Lord, just fill us up with the power of the Holy Ghost and confirm your word with signs and wonders following by stretching forth thy hand to heal the sick and grant that signs and wonders will be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, when they had prayed, brother, if we will do more praying, we will see more visible things taking place. The place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, it would not be enough to shake the pews. An earthquake could do that. <laughs> Maybe it jars a little bit with mighty claps of thunder. Shaking the house is not what the desired effect is. Being filled with the Spirit is the objective of the prayer. And so when they had prayed, part of the phenomena was the place was shaken. But the reality came to them when they were filled, all of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 15, Peter and John came down to Samaria when they learned that Philip, the deacon in the church, had been preaching and gotten a lot of people saved, been a revival in town. And so they sent for the apostles. Peter and John came to town. And when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. He prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Once again, it's scriptural to pray. Secondly, they prayed that they would receive. I'm going to talk about receiving in a moment. Then in verse 17, no, in verse 16, as yet... He was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, they'd come that far. It's wonderful to get people to follow the Lord in water baptism. I believe we'd get more people baptized in the Holy Ghost if we could get more people baptized in water. There's a problem in people's lives when they confess Christ as their Savior and will not be baptized in water. There is something amiss somewhere. Hey, you say, well, Pastor, I haven't been baptized, so I can't get the Holy Ghost tonight. Hey, that's wrong. I believe you can get the baptism of the Holy Ghost tonight and then when you do, I'll guarantee you'll be the next one in that tank. Because <laughs> he guides you into all truth. 
And he'll certainly guide you into that water baptismal tank. Praise God. And if he'll get you up there, I'll put you down. <laughs> Verse 17, then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Nothing difficult about it. Nothing hard. I know that sometimes we think it's difficult, but it's because of our mental conception of this thing. We've got a lot of things made up in our mind that it's got to be like somebody else who was flat on their back. Now, Dr. James Brown never told you how he got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know, and all his dignity with his doctorate and everything. <laughs> but he wouldn't mind telling you, but I'm going to tell you. He didn't tell you, so I will. The night he got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he was on this side of the church. He wound up on the other side under the piano, flat of his back, He'd, all the way on his back from one side of the church building to the other. <laughs> he lost all, he didn't have any dignity back then. Neither one of us did. <laughs> I tell you, the Lord certainly uh, polishes people up. <laughs> Praise God. But you know, I would never suggest that anybody else has to receive the baptism that way. You don't have to, duplicate anyone else's uh, physical uh, reaction to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If they dance in the Spirit, praise God for their dancing. If they travel across the church building on their back, praise God for what's happening to them. If they fall out under the power, praise God for that happening to them. If it's a very quiet, subdued type of thing with just gushers of praise, coming out of the innermost being, praise God for the way the person receives the baptism. Don't try to duplicate anyone else's experience. Just receive what God has. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. He'll take care of the manifestations and help you to yield to the Spirit. So they laid their hands on them. This is important. I believe in the ministry of laying on of hands. It is not always necessary. Sometimes people get the baptism of the Holy Ghost in unusual places. I know of people getting the baptism riding in their automobile. I know of other people, ladies receiving the baptism while they're home by themselves, washing their dishes. Other people alone in a time of prayer, in a closet of prayer, nobody to lay hands on them and God baptizes them with the Holy Ghost. I never did accept the baptism until November the 17th, 1948, after the Lord had given me several marvelous experiences when the Holy Ghost came on me and a few times I spoke a few words in other tongues, but I wouldn't accept that. I would not accept that. I, I just refused to believe that I had everything I was supposed to get. And you know, if you don't receive the Holy Ghost, you don't get what God intends for you to have. You've got to receive. You've got to accept. And so I just backed away, and the Lord doesn't force on you anything that you won't accept or won't receive. So they laid hands on these people, and they received the Holy Ghost. The laying on of the hands is a very vital church ministry. We will offer to do that tonight. And some of you people who have never received the baptism can have this great experience tonight. What we will do at the close of this service is invite you to come and stand at this altar. We'll invite spirit-filled people to come and stand behind you and lay hands on you. And we ministers will walk from one end to the other, laying hands on everybody that comes here to be refilled or to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I'm confident in my heart that many will be this very night. Praise God. But it's not the laying on of the hands that does that. That is an act of obedience on our part in doing that. And it is a ministry to you, but it's the Holy Ghost that will come in you, not us. We can't give you anything, but the Holy Ghost can. In Acts 8, verse 15, they prayed that these people might receive. 
I want Christians all over this building who already have the baptism to start praying right now. This very second while I'm preaching, I want you to pray this prayer that people will receive. Pray that they will receive. I have no doubt that God will give. I have no doubt whatsoever that every person tonight will be given the baptism of the Holy Ghost that asks. God will give to everybody that asks, but everybody will not receive. So I want the Christian people, the spirit-filled people now to begin to pray like these apostles did, that the people will receive. This is one of the problems. People know about the baptism. They've been taught about it. They've seen and watched other people receive mighty endowments from God, but on their part, they have not been willing to receive. And I believe there are many things responsible for that. I believe that one thing, old Satan comes with a lot of preconceived ideas and teachings and practices and traditions that people get all bothered about. And so tonight through prayer, we can paralyze old Slewfoot who will bring all those things across people's mind. Why did the apostles pray? Because when you pray, you're paralyzing the forces of darkness and you're opening an access to heaven. Now I'm asking you to pray tonight to paralyze every negative influence, any preconceived ideas, any teaching that has been erroneous, anything that bothers people. Through your prayers tonight, I believe that something will happen. These two men were great preachers. Peter and John were not novices. And when they prayed that people would receive, it's because they knew they was going to have difficulty getting these people to do it if they didn't pray before they went in there and laid hands on them. And so we need the prayer going on right now that every person who needs a refilling and every person who needs a baptism will accept and will receive. Because when we pray to the Father to give, He's going to give. How much more shall the Father give the Spirit? Brother, there's no problem with God giving tonight. He's giving all. You can get the baptism right now. If that truth begins to burn inside of you, while, Paul, while uh, Peter was yet preaching to Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Ghost fell on them. I believe he got down where they live and began to explain to them the need and the glory and the power of this mighty, majestic experience. And they couldn't wait for the altar call. They couldn't wait for the preacher. He was long-winded. And so they just said, we might as well go ahead now because I can't wait that long. Jesus may come before then. I want this experience. <laughs> glory to God. I wouldn't be bothered at all tonight if you were to receive the baptism and start speaking in tongues in the middle of this sermon. It might be catching. Praise God. Hallelujah. So they prayed that they might receive. Verse 17 says they received. They received. You see, the key is acceptance. I see people and I've heard people speak in tongues. And I heard one or two, three, four words, but they wouldn't accept it. They would not receive that. They were just like me. See, I did the same thing. And the Lord is not going to force this on you. He'll let you wait until you decide that you will accept whatever he gives. And when you start receiving, you, re you receive those few words. And there might be more. The reason why you don't get more, you haven't accepted the first he gave you. You know, if you send it back, if he sends down a wonderful blessing, maybe it's just one word in another tongue. And if that word in another language means Hosanna, or if it means Savior, or if it means 
Jesus, or whatever that word of praise is in another language, if you send that back and say, no, I don't want that one. Where are you going to get the second one if you reject the first one? So those of you who have not spoken many words in tongues must remember your problem is acceptance, receiving. Thank God for what he has done. You know, the first word that Jennifer said, I believe, was dada. <laughs> I wish it were granddaddy. <laughs> no, I don't either. I'm not that selfish. But uh, she will learn other words. And I believe it's not a process of learning, it's a process of accepting other words. The Holy Ghost will turn loose a torrent inside of you. And there may be a volume of other words of praise to God coming out. Some people, this happens to them initially, but it does not happen to everyone that way, and we might as well accept it and try to help the people that don't get it that way. So, brother, sister, tonight, if you have only received a few words, be thankful for what you have. Be thankful and don't refuse to employ that and, and use it. And if you're saying, thank you, Jesus, in Spanish, or if you're saying, thank you, Jesus, in Greek, would it bother the Lord for you to say that a few times? Would that make him nervous if you began to say that for an hour? You know, if the Lord has done something so good to you and he's giving you praises in a language that you don't understand, why stop? Why stop? And probably if you will continue to be thankful and praise him and receive and accept, you will find that you are entering into an open door. As it were, into a new world of experience in the Lord. And volumes will be given to you eventually. Praise God. So you must receive. You must speak. I hear people saying the Holy Ghost spoke. Well, he has, and here's his message. But when people speak in tongues, the Holy Ghost is not speaking. People are speaking. Here's the message the Holy Ghost brought us. A message in tongues, an interpretation. Let me explain to you what the Bible says is taking place. He taught them what to say, but they had to do the speaking. God's not going to take over your tongue. He is not going to take over your vocal cords. You will be the one who speaks in tongues. Don't be afraid of it, and don't wait for God to do it for you, because He is not going to do this for you. The Holy Ghost came upon them, cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. God did that much. But they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance, gave them what to say, just like we teach a child to say, Daddy, well, the Holy Ghost gives us a word. We must say that word. He's not going to say it for us. I think it would be blasphemy for me to stand here and speak in tongues and say, now that wasn't me, that was the Holy Ghost. Well, hey, listen, that was me talking. And if I make a mistake, I made the mistake. The Holy Ghost didn't make any mistake. Some people want to hide behind that claim and say, well, that wasn't the flesh. That wasn't man. That wasn't the preacher. That was the Holy Ghost. No, it was a man. And if there was any error made, the man made it. God gets blamed for a lot of things God never did. 
People say, God told me to do this. God told me to do that. Or the Holy Ghost told me to say this. And many times, that's a cover-up for some selfish motive. Hey, I'm getting right down plain tonight. I'm trying to give preaching and teaching that I believe will help avoid error, but also that it will remove barriers and remove fear so that people will not be afraid. This is nothing to be afraid of. It is something to reverence. It is something to praise God about and to pray for and not try to manipulate in the flesh. But remember, friends, it is man that is doing the speaking. And God is waiting for you to accept and to receive and then to speak. This is why preachers urge people to obey the Lord and speak the words that God has going on inside of their mind. Before I say the next sentence after this one, something's got to come. I hope it does anyway. <laughs> you hear people talking out of their mind. That's bad <laughs> when they get to talking out of their head. I have to think what I'm going to say, but I don't think consciously what I'm going to say to uh, decide what to say in tongues. The Holy Ghost gets, gives me that thought and puts it into my brain, into my mind. And they send the signal to my mouth. But my mouth has got to cooperate. God's not going to work these lips. He's not going to work these vocal cords. This man has got to do that. And the Holy Spirit's my teacher. He's the one that articulates. He's the one, or he's the one that inspires. He, he's the one that frames the utterance, but I'm the one that articulates the words and speak them out. And you must speak. They spoke with tongues. So you must receive, you must accept, and then you must speak the words that God gives you to speak. Remember, there's no speaking without being filled. If there is, we've got the cart before the horse, and it really will not be the genuine thing. You must accept and receive. What do you accept and receive? The Holy Ghost. You see, you don't accept tongues. You accept the Holy Ghost. You, you receive. Have you received the Holy Ghost? That's the question Paul uh, raised to the Ephesians. Receive the Holy Ghost and then he will let these things begin to take place inside of you. And then you will respond and yield. So you've got to get filled with the Spirit, number one. They spoke with tongues in Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Then in Acts 2, verse 4, they were all filled, began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. What were they talking? Verse 11 of Acts chapter 2 says, We do hear them speak the wonderful words of uh, works of God. They were praising God in other tongues. Isn't that beautiful? Praising God in other tongues. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 46, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. The word builds faith. That's why I'm preaching about this tonight. I know that the word is building faith. And if you will accept this message, I know I'm preaching the gospel tonight. And I know if you believe the word of God, it will build faith inside of you. And the Holy Ghost falls on them that hear the word of God and have faith in the word of God. Verse 45 of Acts 10 says that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. There it is. You see, God's doing his part. The word was preached. Faith was manifest. And God poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. I don't doubt that God is going to pour out the gift of the Holy Ghost tonight. God is going to fill people tonight. Are we going to receive? Are we going to accept? Are we going to yield? Then in verse 4 to 6, they heard them speak with tongues. See the progression? 
See the natural sequence of events, the preaching of the word, building faith, then the pouring out of the Holy Ghost, and then the people accepting and yielding and speaking. You won't speak till you get filled, but the minute that you get filled, you need to speak as the Holy Ghost frames words in your mind. Say them out. You say, I'm afraid it'll be me. Well, it won't be me. It'll have to be you. I'm not going to say them for you. You've got to let the Holy Ghost give you these words and then you have got to yield to his suggestion that you say them. Now, what about speaking in tongues? And I close with this tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In verse 2, the Bible says that a man speaking in tongues is speaking unto God. Say, preacher, what's all this business about tongues? Is that important? Well, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. A beautiful way to address God and communicate with God in a way that you cannot do with your own intellect. You're going beyond and above your ability to express to God what you need to tell Him. And through the power of the Holy Ghost, you're talking to God, though you don't know your understanding is unfruitful. You really don't know what you're saying but your spirit inside of you is praying and you're talking to God. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Could we deny anybody that privilege? Would we want to tell anybody, hey, you can't talk in tongues and be a member of this church or if you, if you talk in tongues, you're not right, there's something wrong with you. Would we want to convey that kind of suggestion to anybody? I certainly would not because he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. And that is beautiful. Further in verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Hallelujah. You say, well, that sounds uh, selfish. Well, no, it's not selfish to get edified because you can't help other people till you get some help yourself. And the word edify means to help. It means to build up. It means to strengthen. Is there any problem with somebody getting strength? Is there any problem with somebody getting help they need? Brother, sister, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Some of us need edifying quite a bit. We need all the help we can get. And here's an access. Here's a way to do it. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. You know, we, we consider ourselves educated and, and we know the answers. We're pretty smart. And with our intellect, we try to solve and rationalize and figure things out. And we even tell God how it is. One of these days, we're going to wake up and realize we're not near as smart as we think we are. And when you are praying in tongues, you're not depending on your education. You're not depending on your mentality. You're not depending on your ability to tell God how it is. You're just allowing your spirit to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and communicating to God and the edification that comes has to be ordained of God. It could not come from any other source. So you're edified because you're praying in an unknown tongue. Verse 14, Paul says, when I'm praying in an unknown tongue, my spirit is praying. Sometimes we literally talk ourselves out of many things. And, you know... I don't let people give spoken prayer requests very often because by the time they have finished, you're confused. You really hardly know what to pray about. You don't know whether to feel, usually they want you to feel sorry for them. They're requesting prayer for somebody else. 
But the whole thing is, it's my friend or my mother, and they're the ones that need the prayer. But anyway, we complicate prayer requests. We dress them up and camouflage them with, we're so verbose. I tell you, you know, people talk, well, I'm timid. I don't talk much. Well, we probably talk more than we should sometimes. But when you're praying in tongues, you're not camouflaging anything. You're going directly to God with the reality of the need and, and telling it to God and God's getting the message of your heart and spirit. And you're not trying to impress anybody with what a good person you are and how kind you are towards this person and all about you're just praying, interceding. The spirit of intercession, the spirit of supplication. And praying in tongues bypasses all this facade, all this camouflage, all this that really doesn't build faith. It really complicates the problem and, and distresses faith. But thank God, praying in the spirit, Paul says, my spirit prayeth. A person communicating with the spirit of supplication and the spirit of intercession. Read the book of Ephesians chapter 6 when he mentions all the weapons of our warfare, he caps it off by Praying with the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praise God. In verse 16, Paul says when we're praising God in tongues, we bless with the Spirit. Oh, praise God. We bless with the Spirit. Now, Gary can tell us, let's give the Lord a hand clap offering. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> I was using that as an illustration. <laughs> but he deserves a hand clap offering, doesn't he? Praise God. But friends, when you bless the Lord with the Spirit, it's not because somebody tells you to do it. It is not because you feel the necessity to do what everybody else is doing. It's something motivated deep down inside of you. And it's uh, words that you don't understand. You're blessing with the Spirit. You're praising God. You're adoring Him in the Spirit. And in conclusion, verse 17 says, we are giving thanks. We're giving thanks. In everything give thanks, especially in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he says, it is well. Thou givest thanks well. This allays all of the fears. It resolves all the difficulties. People have said, hey, don't go down there where they speak in tongues. They'll sprinkle some powder on you. They'll put something in the drinking water. Don't get mixed up with those people. It is well. Paul said, it is well. Glory, 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 it is well. I think Paul knows what he's talking about. If he says it's well, it's well. <laughs> Thou givest thanks, it is well. Tonight it is pleasing to God for people to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and to yield to this wonderful experience of praising God in tongues. Remember, we're not seeking tongues. We're not inviting you down here to seek tongues. We're inviting you here to be refilled with the Spirit or to receive the Holy Ghost the first time. Maybe you've never, never even thought about such a thing. You're, you're visiting here, never been in a Pentecostal church before. Well, you might get the baptism easier than anybody else around here because you haven't learned how not to get it. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, it is not difficult. But it is important to pray. We're going to pray right now. And I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray. I've been asking the Spirit-filled people to pray. And I'd like for everybody to pray right now.